Welcome to SA Soccer Roundtable. Uh, tonight we're going to kind of do things a little bit different where we're going to just talk about uh, San Antonio Soccer Academies. And uh, first of all, I want to thank you, uh, thank all the guests for coming on tonight, especially with it being uh, probably one of the busiest weekends uh, for Academy Soccer here in San Antonio with uh, uh, San Antonio Surf hosting Copa Surf and SA City hosting the Fall Shootout. So Tonight, we have uh, three uh, guests on here with Rafa, and uh, the first one is the president of San Antonio Surf, Rick. How are you doing this evening? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for doing having me wonderful. on. Uh, next, we have the director of coaching and mythology at uh, SA City, Sebastian. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me on. Yes, sir. And then we have the vice president of the Urban Soccer Leadership Academy, Mr. James Hope. Hey, guys. Good to see all of y'all. And then, of course, the host that's going to be driving the driving the bus and sitting at the head of the table, Rafa. So, how have you been, man? Pretty good. Busy, busy with recruitment. It never, <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> well, that's why you get paid for, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's so, why they but, should pay, they need to pay me more. <laughs> and I can tell you, for me, for work this week here, we changed systems and. <clears throat> I did what sixty-five hours last week, and already on pace to do that again this week. And you know, people are not happy. So <laughs> it is a fun week. So this is a, a little break of uh, you know work for me here. So I appreciate everybody hopping on tonight. Um, so Rafa, we're going to let you get started with this. Um, you know, since you have a, a, an academy background, and, and since we want to kind of focus on the academies and. Uh, you know, kind of what's changed. I think last year around the same time, maybe a little bit later, we also had an academy showcase. So it's something that, you know, I think that we would like to continue um, at least annually and maybe even, you know, a little bit more semi-annually uh, as we go forward here. So take it away, Rafa. Thank you. So uh, pleasure to have you guys on today. And like I said, um, just discuss some about the, you know, the showcase, some of our, you know, our, our club teams here in San Antonio, because I think San Antonio, we have the best club soccer in the state. You know, you know, we've got some great players that played on, you know, not only, like I said, in college, but also in the pros, too, like, let's say, like, Jose Gallegos and stuff, just to mention a few. Um, coaches, what do you guys think about, I suspect, it's, uh, your, your, your club teams as far as with the COVID-19? What adjustments have you guys made or to, to kind of take care of your players and also the games? How has how's that affected you also with the games as well? Well, uh, USLA, we have uh, put some really strict COVID procedures in, uh, mainly due to also city requirements at, at the city parks. But, uh, you know, we're doing the standard uh, temperature checks for everyone coming to practice, uh, COVID surveys, uh, no parents allowed on the, at practices, games. We've, uh, we're doing the COVID surveys, temperature checks, and six feet distancing, and only one parent allowed per player come out to games and so far you know we've been pretty fortunate not to have any uh, outbreaks whatsoever so uh, it's, it's been good for us tough on our families but uh better be safe and not have uh, some of the breaks outbreaks we're seeing across the state in other uh, other uh, soccer clubs how about how about you coach rick i'll, I'll serve yeah. adjustments precaution wise uh, very similar um Obviously, practices and things, parents are remaining in the parking lots. They're now allowed out on the fields uh, like they used to be. Um, I think a lot of people like to run and, and walk and get some exercise. So I think that might uh, have put a damper on things a little bit, but um, they're using the parking areas anyway. 
games and stuff. Basically, uh, even for our facility, we just kind of had to go with uh, what what the strictest protocols are as far as the leagues. And then we kind of just adopted that um, to our facility. So, you know, you've got uh, the same thing, the, the COVID surveys, the questionnaires um, that we have to do before practices and games. Um, we're keeping teams separate um, from other teams. We're keeping staff separate with their own teams. So we're not intermingling as, that much in case somebody does come down with it and we have an outbreak. Um, it's been pretty good so far. Obviously, numbers are on the rise. I think it's about to get interesting, but also it's kind of getting into winter break. So that might be a good thing um, to kind of see how this is going to go. Um, but it's definitely something to be concerned about. Um, and obviously with tournaments and stuff, especially this weekend, we've got a, a bunch of safety procedures uh, for that as well. Um, not letting parents and stuff out onto the fields until five minutes before game time to try to minimize people walking next to each other and just having large crowds in certain areas. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a, a different way of doing business out here. But, uh, I mean, it's what we have to do in order to let the kids get out there and have some sense of normalcy and uh, – you know, in, in a very unnormal situation. So, how are you, Coach so Sam? Yeah, I would say uh, very similar with the protocols. I think we've all gotten to the point where we're kind of following standards that have been established. We've been doing it for several months. I think the coaches and the parents are very used to what we have to do. Similar stuff. Not no no parents training. Maybe one group of parents at games. I think it's been interesting for us because of our national league. Our GA and ECNL travel outside of the state. So what we've done is we try to keep our protocol with our parents and our teams no matter where we go. Uh, some of the states we've traveled to have much less protocol than what we do um, here. So our parents, I would say, and our players have gotten very used to it and have done a very good job. Um, and it's kind of the normal now for us. So a little bit extra that we have to do on the coaching end of things as a club side, but uh, it, it's worked out well for us. And then, you know, hoping at some point things slow down and get back to normal. Yeah, yeah. A lot, like you mentioned, like Coach Ray mentioned about tournaments. Um, how's that affected your teams as far as going to tournaments or, or hosting tournaments? Is that has that been a big concern, or have you guys taken like protocol, really good protocols to kind of minimize? Because I know th those really do help fund the club teams. You know, you know, to help in the, for the programs and so forth. Because I've I've been in quite a few of them. How does that affect it, you know, your, your clubs is going as far as preparing to go maybe out of town or hosting a, a, a tournament in town? Yeah, from our side, we have very much localized our play except for our national league teams. So most of our teams have not traveled really to tournaments this year. If they have, it's been very short distance. Uh, the majority of our teams have gone only in Texas. And then the challenge, like I said, is the teams that are forced to travel out of state for their competitions. But mostly it's become a very regionalized approach, which I'm happy with because I think that's what soccer should mostly look like. Um, so it's kind of forced that upon us, but um, it's, it's been good. And then a little bit of travel here at the end to end the seasons with some tournaments for some of our teams. Okay. So Coach Ray, you mentioned about you guys are hosting a tournament this week. And what, what, what kind of things are you guys preparing as far as the – the amount of teams coming into to your, your facility for that for this weekend? Um, mainly just uh, making sure we have enough time between games to allow teams to exit and uh, new teams to come in. So, again, we're not having those large crowds. Um, 
we've got the strict mandates with masks. Uh, parents that are attending the game have to be in masks. We've got people that'll be going around and trying to enforce that. I know it, it can be difficult, uh, <laughs> obviously. Um, you, you wouldn't think that something like that would be political, but you know, it, it does get that way at times. And honestly, we're, we're not trying to get involved in that. We just, we just want the kids to be able to play. And if, and if you have to throw a mask on in order for the kids to play, then I say throw a mask on. I mean, cause it's about them. I think sometimes we tend to let the issues become adult issues when really it should be about the kids. But, uh, but we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to a good weekend. Um, I think it's, it's an interesting thing cause we had a tournament earlier, uh, before the season started the regular season and, Numbers were obviously way lower um, than what we were accustomed to, um, understandably. Um, I think maybe people are getting kind of tired of being indoors or whatever it is. Numbers are up as far as tournaments. Um, so obviously that does give some logistical issues uh, as far as keeping people safe. But we're going to do everything we can uh, to make sure that it goes well and that uh, we're minimizing any risk uh, for the kids and for their families. So. How about you, Coach James? First with the tournaments, with the, what, what precautions are you guys taking when you take your teams out? We've, uh, you know, we have a couple teams that do travel, uh, you know, throughout the state and uh, trying to minimize those uh, overnights. Uh, but, you know, they did that. They still happen and just trying to, you know, balance out travel, uh, number of people going and such. But most of our teams have stayed local. In fact, most of our teams that normally were playing at a higher level stayed local. And, you know, ended up playing in the uh, lower divisions this year. Uh, in fact, that's where our largest growth came. We added um, a whole bunch of high school teams uh, for 7v7 leagues. So we have uh, almost, 300, almost 300 kids just playing high school 7v7 on Friday nights. And so, uh, but that's a lot of that's just come from kids wanting to play and haven't been able to. So it's given them an opportunity. Yeah. Speaking speaking of high school, I don't know with the well, through, through your club teams, the biggest thing with club is, is recruitment, going to the showcases. Has that really affected your older players as far as recruitment, and especially the ones that are seen juniors, seniors, as far as having the you know the recruiters come, the coaches come see them play? Has that been a big effect on on, on your guys on your players? Uh, it, yeah, it, cert it certainly has. Uh, you know, of course, right now NCAA Division One coaches are prohibited from attending matches uh, or having players on campus. Uh, so on the D1 level, especially. Uh, now, we, we've done a pretty good job of uh, communicating and having players communicate with coaches. Uh, so we've already got some pretty good opportunities for most of our seniors that are graduating this year. Uh, just been uh, wherever we go, we're contacting coaches in advance, telling them we're going to be there, sending video uh, to and from. That's really the only way to do it right now. So um, it's been a little harder, but it is what it is. How about you, Coach Sebastian? How does that affect as far as recruitment with your older players? Yeah, I think the big difference is uh, mostly at the GA games and ECNL games, you would expect a lot of college coaches, and especially when we go to three-day events, but that has not been the case this year. The majority of recruitment has been through video, so we're lucky that we have VO and Instat um, that we share with college coaches, and pretty much within a day, they can watch the videos of our players and then it's chopped up for them in terms of highlights already, which is a big benefit. But I think it's just changed the recruiting game a little bit. It's, it's still about relationships with the coaches, um, whether they trust what club they're coming from, um, whether they've seen the players play in person before. 
Um, but definitely a little bit different. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see the consequences of this probably a little bit down the road, a couple of years, we're going to see how it affects recruiting long-term. Okay. How about you, Coach Rick, as far as whether your players? Yeah, for us, I mean, obviously with uh, Division One schools uh, not being able to do in-person recruiting, we, we're relying on, a lot on video right now. Um, we, we were going with the, the VO camera system, and we actually talked to the rep the other day because we wanted to order another camera. And the demand is so high that <clears throat> it's going to be like five weeks for a new camera to get in so everybody's going to everybody's going to video because it's really the only way they can they can recruit um so we're just adapting to to the way it is i mean when we're when we're younger the coaches went out to find us and now the kids are having to kind of market themselves so you just you just got to be flexible and you know adapt to the environment the way it is um i think division two and three schools and stuff are enjoying it in a way because they're out at the games and they're not having to worry about division one schools. there talking to players and stuff. So um, I think they're enjoying that, but uh, it's definitely a different, a different world this year. So. That's good. That's good. Um, just moving forward as far as your programs, you know, you know, coming into with it, we you know going with the situation when COVID, I mean, you know, any, anything like as far as um, hesitation, as far as some of the players coming in, the parents, you know, what, what was, what was the kind of like the, the, the feel like going into the season, you know, you know, having, ex, you know, expectations as far as are we going to be able to play? Cause there, you know, cause there were some like rumors like, Hey, we might not play this season, depending, like I said, with, with Stisa or a couple of the other organizations, how did you guys, you know, going into planning the season going in? Like, you know, how, how'd you kind of get the anxiety out from the student, from the, from the parent, I mean, from the parents, but from the players. Well, you know, with USLA, we have about 30% of our uh, families do not have any insurance. And so with that high number, we were overly cautious to make sure that we were safe. Uh, we did not start any training until September 7th. That was the first day that uh, teams could officially practice. So it hampered our teams. It, it put them behind, especially our upper level teams, not having any practices other than just personal trainings that they were doing and things like that. So it made it a little difficult to get the season started. Um, we're still down with numbers, uh, but uh, a lot of communication that hopefully in the spring, the things will pick up a little bit and give us one thing it has given us time to do is to do a lot of uh, internal uh, adjustments, uh, working on sponsorships and things like that. And so our sponsorships are up tenfold this year. So, we, you know, that's been a positive for us because that's where our focus has now been. We, do, we run a lot of different programs for different people, but some of those have just been really limited this year. How about you, how about you Coach Sam? Yeah, I personally moved to San Antonio during the pandemic, so it's been very interesting for me. <laughs> um, I moved into a place without being able to see it or visit or anything. Um, and then when I moved here, things were already shut down, so... My, my first experience in San Antonio soccer was um, everything was shut down. I would say the biggest problem is the uncertainty. We, we have gone through a season now of not knowing if maybe we're playing our last game or a training session is going to get shut down. I think that kind of uncertainty has psychological consequences for players, families, coaches, and I think we've felt that. Um, same as James, I think we've had several 
families and players opt not to play this year um, due to the circumstances, which us as a club the attitude has been that, you know, we respect every family's decision and they have to take care of what they need to. But um, for me, I, I'm grateful every time we get to go on the soccer field and, and once we got to train again and playing games, I felt myself again. It was very strange not being on the soccer field. Um, and we just got to hope that we can continue. I know the trends look bad, um, but I am grateful every day that we get to be out there. How about you, Coach Ray? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as we we could expect, it makes sense that the, the youngest age groups are the lowest numbers at this point. I think uh, the older ones, they've been in it longer. They've got a lot invested, so they're willing to get back out on the field. Um, but a lot of like our, our junior academy program, your U5, 6, 7, um, you know, numbers went down there. And then as the season started, we started getting more and more kids interested. You know, they felt like maybe it was safe at that point. So the number, you know, we get one and two a week coming in. But uh, but I mean, across the state, uh, numbers are way down. The state association, I think at one point said maybe 20 percent, 30 percent, something like that. Um so yeah, there's a lot of people obviously staying home, um, and we we respect that, and we're willing to be out there and uh, and and be available for the ones that want to. Um, but yeah, it's it's numbers are down. Even the referees um, right now, that the numbers are down there, and our games and stuff. Sometimes you're showing up, and there's only two refs, or there's only a center. Um, so it's it's affecting more than than just that. Even uh, Financially, the payments, we went to a payment plan by month just in case there was a shutdown. Um, we'd be able to just stop everybody's payments at that point. And then based on when we started up again, we kind of figure it out from there. You know, But a lot of people were concerned, like, should I pay for, for soccer if I'm going to lose my money if we get shut down? And you know, so we've had to make a lot of adjustments in a lot of different areas. Um, but again, we just kind of got to adapt. And sure. Harry, do you have a question? Oh, no, I just wanted to make a comment on that because – uh, as a parent, you know, like I said, we've played what six games or whatever, three at home, three away, and and uh, been to one guest away. Um, to me, I think you know, as a parent, what what I found is is I talked to AJ and I was like, hey, it's a privilege for you to be able to play. You know, you're, you're you know, if you go in with that mentality, and especially as a parent, that we can kind of help set that expectation. Hey. You got to do the right things at home. You got to, you know, you got to do the right things at the, you know, at the practice facility. And then on game day, you know, you know, still do the right things. Um, I know we talked to, you know, talked to him and, and, you know, other kids on the team and, and just, you know, commingling with uh, other parents, you know, throughout, um, you know, throughout the, you know, the, the games that we've been to. And I think a lot of us parents are, are very appreciative of, you know, having, the ability and, and having, you know, the coaches, you know, take t time out to have um, for that as well. So I think it's been a great team, um, team environment between the parents, the kids, and, and obviously the coaches and staff that have, have made this work, you know, very well so far this year, you know, at least with, you know, uh, you know, with the, with the games that I've been a part of as well. Speaking as far as, you know, with the low numbers this year, do you see any long-term effects affecting club soccer here in San Antonio because of this? Or do you see uh, coming back to what, I guess I might say normal, but kind of the way it was? What, what's your opinion on that? 
I think one of the benefits, and I truly believe that regionalized, localized competition is really the wave of what needs to happen in youth development. I understand that there needs to be maybe some national levels for certain level players, but I, I think we've found that the competition just here in Central and South Texas is, is very strong. And especially at the younger age groups, I don't see too much reason for them having to travel too far. So I hope it shows us that we can play locally and we can play a little bit more regionalized. And I think that's that's what youth soccer needs a little bit. Um, and I hope we carry that over because we've had a lot of lessons learned about traveling far. And um, I hope we just take it and actually apply it to the structure of U.S. soccer right now. Do you, do you think there should be like a maybe having a – do you think an effect will bring you into like a stronger local league? Would you like to see something like that? That way you don't have to travel too far. You know, something similar, but kind of with the Dallas, kind of like, like I'm familiar with the Dallas club teams. I don't have little regional uh, leagues. You'd honestly see maybe that in the future here in San Antonio, having those strong uh, regional leagues. I would love that. And I think really, if you're fair and you look at the U12 and under, just from what I've seen in San Antonio, and obviously I've been in South Texas, the amount of talent that each club has is tremendous. You, the, every, te every club, every team has players that look special, and then it's about their long-term development. But I think it could be done, um, and I think it's, it's what needs to happen. And then maybe reserve you know, the, the national leagues for the players that need that kind of exposure. But I think Texas itself is a total hotbed for talent here in mm -hmm. soccer, and San Antonio is, has a tremendous amount of talent. So I think if, if cities – in the U.S. can do it. We're definitely one that can make it happen. How about you, Coach Rick? Yeah, and I, I mean, I agree with Sebastian. If, if if we can do more regionalized leagues, obviously it keeps costs down for one um, for parents because that is uh, something that um, I think we, we end up losing kids uh, because of that. Um, we end up missing out on some really quality talent, you know, because of the financial aspect yeah. of it. So anything we can do to keep costs down, I think, is a good thing. And uh, it does seem kind of silly once in a while that you're driving, you know, five, six, seven hours to play a team when you could have, you know, had just as good a game somewhere locally. Um, but everybody's there's so many different leagues. You guys talked about the alphabet of the, you know, the different leagues. Yeah. Um, and so everybody's chasing this and they're chasing that. And I think we're kind of losing uh, uh, insight or sight on basically the the development, the actual, you know, the, the part that's important, you know, chasing after the next best thing. So um, I think that would help. I think uh, from a development standpoint, it would let us focus a little more on that. Um, and I definitely think it'd be good. And hey, we we love crosstown rivalries and things like that. It makes it fun even at the youth level. So um, why not, you know, and then have a national, you know, tournament that you can advance to and, and whatever. So, but again, it's everybody's, there's so many different leagues and stuff. It, it, I don't know. It's going to take some work, I think, to kind of put that together. But uh, it, maybe the pandemic does help it. So, but yeah, I, I agree with Sebastian. Speaking about development, uh, how do you feel as far as the development with U.S. soccer? Is there things to really? Uh, um, how do you feel about? Is it we're at the right spot, or do you think there's more room for improvement? Uh, what What do you see around there? Like as far as when you're when you start developing your players. Yeah, I mean, just watching a little bit of the U.S. game today, I think you could see a different type of athlete uh, on the field. I think we're seeing it every day. I think the talent just keeps going up and up. I think it has a lot to do with the coaching environments, the club environments, 
um, have improved dramatically since I played. And I think the knowledge, um, there's a lot of science now behind development. There's a lot of research that shows what are the things that maybe you should try to do. But the reality is development is contextual. So the U.S. is so big. Um, what we do in San Antonio, what we do in Texas is going to be a little bit different than what works maybe up north. And and that's one of the special things about the, about the United States. But uh, from what I've seen in this area, I think San Antonio is totally on the incline. Um, it's one of the reasons I decided to come here. And I think in the next 10 or 15 years, San Antonio is probably going to be one of the cities that's talked about when you talk about soccer development and soccer talent here in the U.S. Yeah. How about you, Coach Rick, as far as with your development with your club, as far as, as, far as with your players? Yeah, and, and when, when you asked that question, it was kind of laughed because it's a loaded question when you're talking U.S. soccer. We can talk for hours about the different, you know, we're talking about the team specifically or as a whole, but, uh, and I, you know, it's, it's tough too, because you've got, um, you know, different leadership coming into us soccer and things are changing all the time. I know just within the last 10 years, the, the curriculum, uh, for coaching courses and stuff has changed, you know, quite a bit. Um, so it's always being redeveloped. And, and I think, uh, I think the best thing for clubs to do really is to take all the information they can get, you know, not just U.S. soccer, you know, United Soccer Coaches, La Liga, uh, all the different methodologies out there. You have Tovo, you, you know, take it all in. Um, I think a lot of discussion within the clubs internally with the staff, uh, you know, maybe not just a complete top down model, but maybe bottom up, you know, sharing different ideas and, and things like that and run an internal coaching education and stuff. We have to develop our coaches. I mean, if we're going to, if we're going to start producing uh, professional soccer players, you know, in San Antonio, then our coaches have to have to develop as well. And I think that's where, where the, you know, the key to all this is. Um, so it's definitely something that we're, we look at internally at our club, um, you know, with, with the winter break kind of coming, you know, it's a time where our staff gets together and, uh, we do performance reviews and just discuss how things are going. We do more coaching education, that kind of thing. Um, just anything we can do to help the staff um, develop themselves so that they can help the players develop. So I definitely think that's an important part. But again, these we could probably talk about this for hours. And I think there's so many different, <laughs> different things to this. So, yeah. I mean, Coach James, as far as uh, development of your players, as far as uh, where, where are you guys at and what do you see as far as U.S. soccer as a whole when it comes to developing players? Can you hear me, Coach James? Looks like he's frozen. frozen. Okay. So, Harry, do you have any questions as far as anything as far as club, club soccer? No, it's been a year since – or pretty close to a year that we uh, had um, – are you back, James? Okay. Um, you know, I know, you know, and speaking, you know, with Rick, you know, with the adjustment from SA Surf, uh, or probably from Surf to SA Surf here and, and trying to get um, everything on one, you know, the team's all on one kind of path here. Uh, for So how has that adjustment been for um, SA Surf, Rick, uh, you know, to be able to kind of go from, Alamo City to SA Surf and the guidance and, and stuff that they have now that, you know, it's been a year in 
has it been everything that you thought or, you know, even more than, than, than you thought with having, you know, surf come on board? Um, as, as far as the partnership, um, everything that was discussed and everything, uh, that, that was not necessarily promised, but every, everything that we agreed upon, uh, has, has been the way it said it was going to be. Um, I think it's, it's, it's been a benefit that we can utilize, you know, a lot of resources and things. Uh, Surf's now got 34 affiliates around the country, uh, and there's a club in British Columbia and, and one in Puerto Rico now, too. So um, we're able to utilize, you know, this huge network, um, not just, well, for coaching education and things like that, but um, software programs that we use for the club, you know, all these different things. We can leverage the partnership, and um, because there's so many of us, it, it's beneficial um, the surf select program, which is a big thing for us, um, basically taking the best players, you know, from all the surf affiliates and give them the opportunity to play in, you know, hot, high quality tournaments across the country and also internationally. Um, they're starting to develop partnerships with clubs overseas where you can go and study abroad and you can play with the local club and continue training and, and stuff like that. So um, everything that, that we discussed um, has been legit. I mean, it's it's been great, and uh, the support there. They they really um, just want to help us grow, and uh, you know anything that they can do to you know to help that they do. Um, but again, that surf select program that's something we've got. Uh, December we've got our first training weekend for the state level. We're bringing players from El Paso, Central Texas, and San Antonio together um, for training weekend. And the following weekend they go off with their teams, and they'll be playing in some showcase type events. Um, and then the national schedule kind of got thrown off a bit, obviously with COVID. <laughs> um, and since San Diego is kind of where, you know, we're headquartered basically in California, they haven't played games yet since March. Um, so, but they're, they're actually doing a West coast combine for surf select next week. They've got an East coast one coming up. Um, and we're doing a lot of, uh, film review and stuff too, since that's a new Avenue, um, just to, uh, get the players, you know, in front of the national team staff and stuff like that. And then they're trying to work through the new schedule for that as far as when we're going to be playing where. And again, with COVID numbers rising, I, it, it's hard to say what's going to happen, but we're just going to go until we can't anymore at this point. So. How about you, Coach? So, you mean you to San Antonio. What is your vision as, as far as helping SC City grow as a club team, as far as like developing the players and so forth? So what's what when you came in? What is you know what's your vision for that? Yeah, so I would say um, I'm lucky that there's such a strong foundation at SA City. Um, they brought me in, I think, specifically to help with how we can improve the environment of the players we're developing. Um, my background is in sports science, so I have a PhD in elite athlete development from the University of Texas. The easiest way to describe what we're doing at SA City is trying to really make everything that we do research-based. Um, we're in a very intensive process of tracking all our changes. So we have two of the top researchers in the country that are helping us with that, interviewing the staff, taking surveys. But really, I, when I boil it down, is trying to make sure our coaching methodology, our learning environment is actually connected to how humans learn, how humans process information. Um, and then obviously coaching has a little bit of science and a little bit of artistry as well. Um, that's the managing of people's side, the managing of environment. Um, but a big focus on 
how is it that we make these players retain information over the long term so that in games they're able to make those automatic split second decisions because that's really what the game becomes um and it's not so much decision making in the traditional sense it's it's a much faster process than that um cognitively so the players to be able to do that at high levels they have to go through the right environment um so we're making a lot of changes here it, it starts with us as the coaching staff doing pretty rigorous coaching education and then starting to get that information to our parents and our players to adapt to what our environments are going to look like moving forward yeah, so uh, I know critical analysis is a big, big thing in soccer. That's something what I talk with, with my with my club players is learning how to you know to think and as far as situations because I'm not there in the field. You have to think things through and so forth. You know, so that's and that thing that's the what the benefit of our playing club soccer is that you have a complete player knowing how to think things, how to process information, and get a get on to certain situations. For, for someone that has, like I said, for a parent that has, you know, that's wanted to bring in their their your their son or daughter into club, going into club soccer brand new, you know, what can what should they expect, you know, when they you know come into your club, like you know, what are the, what's what is the, you know, I guess this is the benefits of going into club soccer for them, you know, overall. Yeah, I think for us and our approach is one that we're going into a very individual development philosophy approach, which is above anything else, we're interested in developing individuals. Um, and then hopefully our teams, if that's done right, can be good as well. But really, um, it's about developing individuals and targeting their needs and targeting their learning. Um, and then that the problem with that approach is it's a rigorous one. It's time consuming. Um, all our players at SA City right now um, are undergoing processes of having individual development plans for themselves. So they know exactly how to work on areas of their game over the long term, and then it helps us track their development. Um, but I think that's what we're gonna we're gonna try to do a little bit different, and then just our approach methodology connected to how people learn, and it, that's difficult as well because that takes coaches to be um, architects of environment and play with different things in order for that to be really effective. Okay. How about you, Coach Rick? Is someone brand new bringing in a new player to your club to your club team? You know, what what how would you you know embrace them, and what what would the parents need to learn about? You know, what to expect going into playing with you guys? Um, I think obviously, if it's uh you know parent and player coming from a rec based uh, type of situation, or maybe it's their first time out, um, you know, it's definitely I hate to say more structured. But it is more structured. Um, at the same time, obviously, I think what you're going to get is coaches that are trying to hit all four aspects, you know, of development. You know, their technical ability, their understanding of tactics. Now, at younger ages, that's different, obviously, than older ages. Um, but you have that in there. Um, trying to develop, you know, the physical fitness, those kind of things. But like Sebastian said, I think the thing that separates players in the long run um, is their ability to make decisions and analyze the game and read the game. And, and, uh, so trying to bring that into it, uh, you know, for a four-year-old is obviously looks a little different, uh, than <laughs> the older age groups. Um, but we, we want to try to have decision-making involved in, in everything that we do out there. Um, so that's a big part of what we do. Um, and obviously yeah, every club has their own philosophy on playing style and things like that. But the one thing that's different with uh, youth soccer than say, if I'm a college coach is, 
I'm not recruiting players to fit the style I like to play. You're getting players and figuring out what best works for all of them. And uh, as Sebastian said, it's, you know, a lot of it's based on how they learn, you know, because every kid is different, you know, and, and so you have to focus on individual development, you know, in a team environment. And uh, it's so it's it's just a lot of that. Um, and it's obviously a little different than, than a record situation. Uh, Coach James, can you hear me? I don't know if he's on. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's responding. Okay. okay. I'm going to send him a message to see if he's Okay. Uh, so as far as like going back, going into that, but where we talk about with the you know new players coming in, how do you deal with the parents? Because I know uh, I remember going when I started co coaching with Texans, I had a lot of parents that I know it alls or, oh, but my my son plays this position, my son plays that. Uh, what advice as far as like someone going into you know coaching club? How do how would you deal with those those parents? You know, what, what's the best advice for that? You know, how do you make them understand, hey, this is the way we're going to do things? I think for us, I think the, the biggest thing is just communicating. Um, as coaches, you know, you, you might think if, if you're, a, you know, a, a young aspiring coach, you're going to go out there and it's all about the soccer piece. But a lot of it is communication with parents. You know, not only am I explaining what we're doing to the players, but I'm also telling the parents because – at night when they go home and they sit around the dinner table, they're probably going to talk about soccer at some point. So if the parents are on the same page and they understand what we're trying to do, then that helps reinforce everything outside of the field, you know, but um, I think the biggest thing though is letting them know there's a lot of parents that maybe they didn't play soccer growing up, you know, it's, it's becoming more popular now, but was it then? So giving them something to look for besides just the ball in the back of the net, you know, it helps them understand, you know, maybe the team is progressing more than what they thought if, if, if they're having a rough time or uh, just giving them different things to look for as far as, you know, what we're working on. So Why I think you, that's the biggest thing is just communicating. Well, you got to call me out, Rafa, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I had situations like that when I, I guess I went to coach, I had a parent that said, that she is like, well, I played college soccer and you're not doing the right thing. And like, well, here, here's the whistle. If you want to coach the team, here you go. You know, <laughs> just, you know, sometimes you deal with that. Like I said, but I know that's, that's yeah, good what, to and, know. And what's wrong with explaining why you're doing it? I mean, that's, yeah. it's not a secret. We're not here to, to keep all the information to ourselves. We want the parents to know so that, again, uh, they can help reinforce that. So I think that's. Yeah, cool. I had one parent that told me, like, why is my daughter playing a sweeper? She should be up there scoring goals and this and that. And I'm like, I said, I know, I know how to coach players. I know what, where do they get, put them where they succeed at. And that, I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, how, how do you explain the, to a parent, like, you know, this is a position that I can see them succeed, see that. You know, you know, do you run into a lot of that situations as far as during practices and games? Yeah. We do all the time. Uh, I think there's a careful balance there. Um, I do think it's club responsibility, um, especially because we, we have our, our membership, our paying clients, um, to inform the parents, to involve them, um, and, and really help them throughout the development process. One of the realities of development is in the last 10, 15 years, we've had an explosion of information here. So what used to be done and what we probably went through when we played is vastly different to what we know now to be effective 
So we have to we have to inform and we got to involve the parents. But the reality is that the parents are more responsible for the development of these players and people than we are. We are a small piece of their athletic environment, but it's these parents um, that really, really affect the development of, of their children. And then the reality is not our environment isn't the right environment for everybody. And I think as a club, we have to be willing to accept that that if we don't have the same values, they don't agree with our philosophy, then it might be a better fit for them to be somewhere else. And I think that's, that's the kind of development environment we want to have here. We, we have gladly sent players to other clubs this year with the families saying that they're a better fit somewhere else. And that's fine. I think as long as those conversations happen, I think that's, that's what needs to happen in youth development. Yeah. How about you, Coach? So you kind of agree with the same thing? Yeah, for sure. And, and that's that's just it. it. Again, it's a communication um, with them. And, and like he said, you know, we, we have had an information uh, explosion here and there are a lot of new ways. And, and we don't necessarily, maybe, you know, Sebastian, maybe I don't have the best way, you know, but we're, we're working our way through it. Um, but as long as, again, we can communicate it to them and, and you're, ne you're never going to make everybody 100% happy but at least you can explain why. And then it's, you know, at that point, it's up to them whether they, they like your answer or not. So, um, but we definitely got to communicate with them. Development is messy. Development is nonlinear, it's chaotic, and we want it to be this neat process, but that's just not the reality of, of, of youth development pretty much in any area. So it's, it, it goes all over the place and sometimes it's tough, sometimes you're in good times, um, but, this uh, developing youth soccer players is a difficult, difficult task for sure. And I'll say as a parent, it's great if you have a Rafa that you can send your tweets to say, <laughs> hey, I don't understand why they're doing this. And he goes, slow down. It's, it's like this here. So uh, it's great if you got a Rafa that can say, hey, slow down. They know what they're doing. Take a chill pill for that here. So uh, just as, as a parent, like I said here, that's one of the biggest things that um, – me and my wife have both noticed um, and especially coming from rec league. Cause this is AJ's first year with, with the club team and just the, the development that, that they get during practice you see. And, you know, especially starting out AJ's team struggled a little bit at the start and then, you know, they, they've picked it up as you see the prog progress going through and you see how it's coming through. But I can tell you the first few games there, I was just like, what are we doing <laughs> along those lines here? Just because for me, it didn't make sense. But, you know, from somebody that's got the background, that's got the coaching and stuff like that, where, hey, it's all a piece of the puzzle. As a parent, that you know, especially as somebody that's new to circle back, that's the thing that you have to look at is, you know, you're not going to expect immediate results week one, week two, even six, you know, six, six games into the season. It's about developing them long term, you know, to where for their future, if they want to take that next step, that they have that ability. Yeah, it's cliche, but it's it is a marathon. You know, it's not a sprint. So, yeah, because I can remember, like I mentioned to Harry, like when I coached my first year club, it took about a year, good year, to, for my team to really develop and have success. But being, you know, like I said, I was patient. I know I had some impatient parents. Oh, we need to win now. We need to win now. But and I kept on, you know, letting them know that, you know, this is about development. You're going to see the change through time. And then said, you're going to see a notice their level of play, you know, through the practices and all that. The game just is going to tell me what 
what they've learned and what, you know, as far as, you know, technique. And that's something I focus a lot of us on technique. What do you, what do you guys like think about technique like, as far as what are ways as far as do, what techniques do you guys work on a lot? Like, you know, where, where you really kind of work with, you know, with your players, you know, what to focus on. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation because I think it can be done many, many different ways and you can achieve similar outcomes. I personally am a big fan of unstructured play early on. Um, and I think that is, provides benefits down the road. But you can also do it a little bit more structured. I think here in the U.S., we have to adapt to the players that we have. They're not going into the park and playing three hours, four hours a night. So you have to address some parts of the technical game. But I do think probably the best approach at younger levels, and even as you get a little bit older, is to allow them to do it in a game-based approach. And I think fun is up, and I think they can explore. And then I think there is a lot to be said about what happens in the home environment. Um, it's very similar to what Tom Byers is doing at Houston Dynamo. That love for the ball and for the game developed at home, I think, is something that you can't replicate truly in the club environment that we have established here in the U.S. Um, but I'm, I'm personally a big fan that those skills can be acquired through play. Okay. How about you, Coach? Coach Rick? Yeah, and uh, I think, uh, you know, obviously at the younger age groups, um, you know, you're more focused on those individual technical type skills. And then as they get older, you start focusing on playing in pairs, defending in pairs and small groups, and then you get in the whole team concepts and stuff. So there's a progression. There's a lot of different things we can do within that. Um, I, I think, you know, Sebastian mentioned, you know, the environment, and the culture, but I think something that really would help kids is if they actually watch the game on TV. You know, that's something that I don't think the U S is quite, quite there yet as far as a soccer culture. Um, and it's something that, you know, I ask players, hey, when was the last time you, you watched a game? And most of them don't, you know, and, and they can learn a lot just from seeing the game, from hearing the commentators and what's going on. Um, that's what I know that, you know, we've been forced into the film thing for recruiting, but film review and going over that and letting the players see what's going on on the field. And now they, they've got a visual to what you've been saying to them over and over. You know, I think that helps. So anything you can do as a club to encourage that outside of training um, you know, cause you might have two, three days of practice a week. Um, I, I don't know what happened. I know when I was a kid, every sport I played was five days a week, two hours a day, maybe longer <laughs> if the coach wasn't happy. Um, but now it's a lot less. And like Sebastian said, kids are not going out, um, and playing on their own anymore. Um, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's us as parents being a little too overprotective and not wanting to let them go. But, um, you know, so we really have to fit a, as much as we can and be as impactful as we can in that hour and a half training session or whatever it is. Um, so I know for me personally, as a coach, I'm not a big fan of uh, just in unopposed dribbling through cones, things like that. I want to have some kind of pressure because uh, anything to make the, it more game like, you know what I mean? Um, maybe it's limited pressure. Maybe it is intense pressure, whatever. But uh, there, there's different ways to do it. And then we just have to, as clubs and coaches, uh, find the best way to get the biggest uh, effect in the in the time periods that we have. So yeah, it's, I have it's a question here from one of our from our, one of our uh, viewers with many of, of uh, your players going about to go into a high school season. Uh, coaches, at what, what are some pointers you give players dealing with different tactical approaches between club and your and your and also high school? 
I think over long-term athlete development, one of the things that goes a little bit understated is the adversity a soccer player has to deal with, um, the ability to be resilient, ability to adapt. It's really, really hard to break into elite levels of soccer. It's, it's very complicated. Um, and you want to develop players that can handle themselves very maturely in different environments. Um, and I think, I think tactics always have to be directed towards what the players are seeing, what the players are feeling. So I would hope that even in those environments, they're being asked about what they feel and what they see. Um, and then they can share their knowledge as well. So I think it's, it's the players should be able to do that. And then there should be sharing. They can learn stuff in high school that they can bring to clubs and I think vice versa. But I think more, more important than anything is developing those players that are mature enough to be able to speak up share their feelings in both environments and talk to the coaches so they can adapt to whatever's best for the players they have. How about you, Coach Rick? Yeah, I agree. I, I think you have to, obviously, um, if you're not, if you're not understanding why maybe the, there's a certain approach that that coach has taken, you have to ask the question. Um, and I think that it's good to be exposed to different, different ways of playing, uh, different tactics. Um, I think, you know, it could be a good thing for overall development. Um, not every situation is a perfect situation for the players, but I think they have to, to take ownership and, and actually ask questions. I, it's part of growing up and being an adult. I think at, at the high school age, you know, it's, you're, you're kind of developing those life skills for later on. And there might be a time where you're sitting in your job and you don't know why. So you ask your boss, you know, <laughs> you have that hard conversation, but, uh, I think something the clubs and the high schools can do to kind of help these players is to have a better relationship instead of maybe pretending they don't, each other doesn't exist, you know? So I, I know we try to reach out to the high school coaches where our players are at. And, um, you know, we let them know what our workload is like when they are starting their workouts. Um, and then obviously when, once uh, high school starts, then we, we kind of let them alone and to do their thing, but we maintain communication. Maybe we get together once a week. Um, but I think, you know, talking to the high school coaches, and understanding what they're trying to do and, and you never know they might have questions for you and you know maybe the coaches themselves can share knowledge and learn some things there too um, but i think again it, it's another it's a communication thing <laughs> when it comes down to it but uh do, but do you see do you i'm sorry to interrupt do you see any as far as improvement as far as coaching in the high schools you know maybe talking out there a lot of you that are reaching out to the club's coaches do you see a lot of improvement on there as far as with with you know working with the curriculum and stuff like that i i think that yeah i think the high school coaches um you know a lot of them do have experience and even the ones that maybe didn't initially but but they got the job mm. i think there's so many different educational avenues that they can pursue uh to help themselves improve there's there's so much information out there i think a lot of them are doing that and i do think they're uh, being a little more successful as far as that goes so uh, do, do you go to the, every, uh, go ahead, coach. Go ahead. I, I think every player has a different pathway. I think high school is an appropriate pathway for some players, and then it might not be for other players. And I, I think I think both ways. I think club and high school have to be willing to really cater to what is better for the individuals and their families, um, and then support it. It's an, it's not our job to make decisions for them. Um, it's our job to support them and provide information. And then if they choose our pathway to help them out. But I, I think it's both ways. I think just club is not the appropriate pathway for some players necessarily. 
high school isn't for others. Um, and we have to be willing as coaches and people in youth environments to accept that kind of stuff. And, and it's difficult, I know, because yeah. we want obviously top players playing for us or we want certain players playing for us, but that's not necessarily what's better for that individual. Yeah, because I know in the past that's kind of been like, like a clash, you know, with the club and the high school as far as loyalty because I had a situation with a, with a friend of mine coaching and, and Katie – and he had some of some of his best players played on the Houston Dynamo uh, club team, but they couldn't play with the high school team, and they really wanted to play because, you know, just for school school pride and so forth. So I'm glad to see like that relationship starting to get you know improve on, and they're starting to reach out and work you know working one another. Um, Harry, do you have any other, any last any last questions or or any, anything? Um, I was thinking of a question until you said that. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I guess not really so much more for me. Uh, James did send a message. Uh, unfortunately, his hotspot went out, and I told him we'll follow up with him um, at, at, a, at another time here, uh, you know, for later. Because I know he uh, he mentioned that uh, he had to be out at the the practice facility tonight uh, uh, for that, and we all know James is always there for the kids. So told him not to worry about it here. So, uh, but no, as far as for me, you know, for the academies, I'm you know, like I said, relatively new to it, so. Um, it's been an eye-opening uh, experience, but it's been something that's been very worthwhile, uh, you know, uh, you know, for me here, and just just to see the inner workings of it. And it's something that you know maybe um, I want to kind of maybe delve into a little bit further, you know, in the future once work kind of settles back down. But uh, uh, for me to kind of look at, hey, how the opportunities outside of doing a soccer podcast, what are the ways that I can kind of help give back to the game, um, just because there is just so much that's needed, you know, both on the um, local level and, and stuff like that. And um, we're not even going to talk about referees, uh, you know, tonight <laughs> here. So <laughs> no, we're, we're missing uh, one right now. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're missing Danielle to, to yeah. talk about the referee aspect of it here. And, and, and I know you can have me back for that one. Yes. If you want. Uh, I did see the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Surprised Danielle did not say anything, but uh uh, that's something that I, I think that when it comes to club soccer, that's, you know, is kind of understated is um, the referees and, and the impact that they have on the games, both positive, at, you know, and, and unfortunately somewhat negative um, on, on some cases here. Um, but, uh, you know, in my experiences with the, with the game, like I said here, the coaches, you know, um, on, you know, from all the teams that we've been, have been outstanding and, and the referees have as well. And, um, you know, you know, it was at a situation where a referee made a bad call and he came over to the game saying, Hey, the AR missed it. And even though the, the team was still a little bit hot, he's like, Hey, that was on me. That was on us. That, that was our mistake. So, um, it's a learning process for all of us. So like I said here, I do, um, for me, I guess, uh, you know, we're kind of coming right up to it. I guess my only question is, is, um, you know, SA city has the affiliation with, uh, SAFC, um, it was announced this week with um, there's a memorandum of understanding uh, with uh, Austin FC and um, uh, Classic Elites. Um, and then I've also heard that they're going, you know, uh, Austin uh, FC is going to be having, you know, tryouts down, you know, down in the valley. Um, MLS coming into San Antonio, taking away the politics of SAFC and stuff like that. How do you see that benefiting? the athletes here, the, the soccer players here in, in San Antonio having, you know, a team 90 miles up the road, um, 
you know, with, with a MLS Academy, do you see that being a, a positive for, you know, San Antonio or um, otherwise, you know, it has to be a positive, I would assume, but how do you see that impacting the local scene down here? Yeah, for us, uh, one, we obviously have a very close relationship with SAFC and that relationship, I think, is only going to get stronger as we move forward here because I think our philosophies and methodologies line up well. But in the long run, I think competition is healthy. I think what Austin FC is presenting to SAFC and to the families here in San Antonio is going to be positive. It's going to it's going to allow more professional pathway for more players, um, which I think is only a good thing. And then keeping in mind that that pathway is really for a minute number mm -hmm. of players. That is very small percentage of players that that's probably what they need to do in order to develop. Um, but I think the amount of resources Austin FC is giving to their soccer, the people that they brought in is only going to strengthen mm -hmm. soccer in Central Texas. And I think for SAFC, I think it, it's also going to be good for them because there's a big challenge there now in, in order to keep you know the San Antonio talent. I think SAFC continues to do what they've been doing, which is they've, they've proven to put young players on the field in professional settings. And I think that's a big advantage because they can say we've done that and we continue to do that. So um, I, I think that's exciting and more opportunities for coaches and players alike. Yeah, and I agree. It's, it's, it's just more opportunity for players. If you take, you know, clubs and cities and all that aside, uh, when it comes down to the players, um, why not? It's great, you know, for them. So more opportunities, can't beat it. We just need to get a women's team in the area. That's, <laughs> so, yeah. that's the next thing here yeah. is we need to get a, a women's team here. Um, Rafa, any, anything else from you? And then we'll do uh, closing comments. No, uh, it was great to talk to, like I said, the club, some of the local club coaches around here, you know, to promote, you know, our local soccer players, our youth players, because those are our future players. And hopefully, like I said, out of them, they end up playing with SAFC or Austin FC, or hopefully maybe, maybe, well, <laughs> Maybe not for Harry. <laughs> Maybe they play for for Club America or Real Madrid somewhere in Europe, you know. So, but what's it's, it just shows, like I said, there how dedicated the club coaches are as far as you know developing players and the hard work they do, you know. And I think a lot of people don't understand, you know, our you know our job. And sometimes it's a thankless job, but the thing is, for us, it's for in, in intrinsically, you know, it motivates you because you know, hey, I had a piece of helping develop this player, get to where you know, where they're at now as far as either they go to college scholarship or play pro. You know, like I said, that's 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 something special. Like I said, do you have inside and you know and coach I'm not sure the coaches can tell you that. And like I said, we're look forward to say like I said, you know, for the upcoming, you know, for the season coming up for the spring so what new things are gonna help them for the you know for the teens and so forth. So we're excited and like I said hopefully after this COVID's done, like I said we can get back tomorrow and get some good some, some real some more more, more players to get out there to get back on the track. Final thoughts from you, Coach Rick. Uh, honestly, I just want to thank you guys for giving us a platform and, uh, you know, helping highlight San Antonio soccer and at all levels, uh, even the youth level. And uh, obviously um, things are going to slow a little bit here uh, for the clubs as we go into the holiday season and just hopefully everybody stays safe. And hopefully when we get back, uh, we can get back number one and uh we, we can continue doing what we've been doing and uh and you guys stay safe as well so thank you thank you very much for having yeah. me on sebastian your final thoughts 
No, I appreciate you guys having me on. I always enjoy these conversations about soccer. I'm enjoying uh, my time here in San Antonio. I can tell you guys um, that the talent here is, is tremendous. I think we have a big challenge at the clubs that can we actually nurture that talent and surround it with coaches that are capable of providing the environments where those players can keep developing, but really providing positive soccer experiences for those players and families. Um, I've had the pleasure of watching a lot of surf teams play. They have tremendous players. They have very, very good teams. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy to be in San Antonio. And I think I do believe in my heart that San Antonio in the next decade or so, I think you're going to see a fast acceleration of, of the talent of both coaches and players that are coming out of this area. And I think it's natural. And I think it will continue to attract more coaches, more top players. And I think it's just going to be, it's just going to be exponential. What's going to happen in the next decade or so. So I'm excited to be here in San Antonio. Thank you. And my final thought is, like I said here, number one, I want to thank uh, Coach Rick and Coach Sebastian, number one, for coming on, but number two, for putting up with my tweets that I send to them, you know, as well. I'm sure that's not easy. <laughs> like, dang it, Harry, leave me alone. Um, but uh, to me, it's it's always a pleasure to have these conversations and, and hopefully something we'll have more than maybe once or twice a year because I do think that they bring good value um, to the audience and, and, you know, to highlight uh all the soccer, you know, here in San Antonio, where it's SAFC or, you know, the uh, SA Surf in, in the UPSL or the WP uh, or the UWS uh, WPSL, um, you know, you know, when, when those leagues re return as well here. So uh, do want to thank everybody for joining tonight. Thank you for the questions, uh, Thomas and Sammy. Uh, you know, what's life without goals? We're out of here. <laughs>